This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Do you know that you're special? Okay, well, three of you do. Do the rest of you know that you're special? I'm going to tell you why you're special. I'm going to give you one reason why you're special. You've got a whole bunch, but I'm going to give you one reason why you're special. It's because you straddle two realms. You know, the challenge that lots of people have is that God lives in the spiritual realm, but we live in the natural realm. The thing about it is, in order for God to take the things that are of him and to introduce them to the natural realm, he needs to have some way, some mechanism to be able to do that. Wave your hand. Say, I, I'm special. I'm the mechanism. God wants to do some stuff through you because he wants you to recognize who he is. He wants you to realize who he is, and he wants you to have influence in the world. And he's going to do it through you. If you have the life of God on the inside of it, you're a conduit between heaven and earth. He, wants, he is going to do something in your life. Are you looking for it? Are you hungry for it? Are you expecting it? Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Sorry, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, He is able to do exceedingly above all that we can ask or think exceedingly, what he's saying is, as far as you can think, as far as the things that you can imagine, okay, he's beyond that. He's able to do exceedingly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works on the inside of us. If God lives on the inside of you, I want you to understand something, that you have the power of the universe living on the inside of you. It's going to unsettle you. It's going to unsettle you, and it's going to unsettle you for a reason, because what ends up with many people who end up in a a space where they have the life of God on the inside of them is they become frustrated, disgruntled, and unhappy with small things. They don't want to live in a space of small things anymore. There is a place in our Christianity where you, we might come into a, thing, into a situation with God and we end up in a relationship with God and we get into a church and we love it and we're moving in the things and we love the people that we're involved in and we love the songs that we sing. But there is something on the inside of us that's going to sit and say, I'm not content with small things. I'm not content with small things because I have the God of the universe living on the inside of me. I might be able to do that. I might find that comfortable, but it's a lot like Jody. Jody doesn't like living in comfort. Jody likes to step beyond the comfort zone. You're not going to be settled and happy living with small stuff. We're looking for something more from God. That appetite that's birthed on the inside of you is something which I believe originates in God. And it's put on the inside of us because he wants you to recognize the fact that each of us have a boundary in our life. We can do some stuff. We can go some places. But the parameter to our life is established by what we can do in the natural. What he's saying is, if you want to exceed the boundaries of your life, if you want to go places and you want to experience some things that you're not capable of doing it in, in your own strength, what he's saying is, I'm inviting you into relationship with me. Don't get settled for small things. Look for big things from God. You have the opportunity to do that because you have God living on the inside of you.
He is there for a reason. He's there for a purpose because he's not only living on the inside of you so that one day you can go to heaven. The intention behind him living on the inside of you is that he wants to have influence in who you are so that your dynamic and your paradigm for life shifts so that your vision for who you are and what you can accomplish begins to shift so that I move to a space where I start living in an area that I've never lived in before. You see, We become important to God when we're prepared to start living from the impossible. Anytime you can do it on your own, you really don't need God. Go off and enjoy it. But if you're looking for big living, if you're tired of small stuff, we become consequential to God when we prepare to move our lives and step into a place where I recognize that I can't do this in and of myself, so I'm stepping into the impossible. When I step into the impossible, it's a recognition and an affirmation of the fact that the greater one lives on the inside of me and he wants to do something through my life. And I recognize the fact that if I step into that place, I'm wholly dependent on him because it's beyond the boundaries of my life. It's beyond where I could be. God is not calling us to be foolish people. Say, I'm not foolish. He's not calling us to be foolish. He's not calling us to run off and do whatever we want to do. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a will. God is inviting us to discover what his will and what his intention is. His invitation is always for us to move to a place where we live out of intimacy with who he is, where we take the challenges and the situations of our life to him and we talk to him because he's got something to say. And when he speaks, what ends up happening is that there are impartations that happen on the inside of me that begin to color my imagination, that to begin to give me vision, that to begin to present opportunities for me that I never recognized before. But it's not just about what could possibly be. It's not just about what I hope for. He imparts to you the substance that can take you places that you can't get on your own. When my kids were younger... We used to take them swimming. Well, we still take them swimming, but we started taking them swimming. And when they were younger, there's a graduated pool. And so they like to swim in the shallow end. Because if I stand in the shallow end, I'm safe. Because I can stand. If I go in the shallow end, I can invite Carter and Colton to come in with me. And we can all play in the shallow end. The problem with the shallow end is that the shallow end runs from here to here. And after a period of time, I get a little bit tired of playing in the shallow end. I feel safe in the shallow end because I'm grounded. I feel safe in the shallow end because I have my feet on terra firma. The thing about it is, it's not really the most exciting place. And I start looking for bigger things. And so what do they say? Dad, come and swim with us. They usually start swimming in about March or something. So it's freezing. I'm just joking. They don't really. You looked at me like I was serious. The time of the year is immaterial. So dad gets in. And dad is swimming. And dad is doing his thing. and dad is, And they're like, dad, can we come swimming with you? Dad comes up to the shallow end and he says, come. And they have to walk down the graduated pool. 
But all the time I'm walking, the water's getting higher. <laughs> I'm getting closer, Dad. I'm getting closer. But they reach a point where it's like I can't go any further. And it's at that place where Dad has to grab them, pick them up by the hand, pull them and say, come, I'll go swimming with you. You see, the thing is, their feet are not established on solid ground. And yet they're very comfortable and secure in the substance that holds them. I might not have my feet on the ground, but the substance that holds me offers me the opportunity to go places that I can't go on my own. There is a confidence that comes because dad is in control. If you want to go somewhere with God, he's going to take you beyond the deep end. You might be comfortable playing in the shallow spaces and you might be okay there, but there is going to come a point in your life where you're going to get disgruntled with small things and you're going to look into deep waters and sit and say, I want to do something more. I want to go somewhere more. You're never going to get there without him. There comes a place where you go to the max and then you've got to reach for his hand. And you've got to wait for the call. Come. We've got to live out of relationship with him. When you live out of relationship with him, you'll never be foolish. He will never invite you to do anything that he will not fulfill. My word will not return to me void. If he invites you into something, you can have the confidence that stuff will begin to happen. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And the reason that he's given us the Holy Spirit is because we don't recognize how big we are. We live from where we've been. We live from what we know. We live from what we've experienced. We live from all the things that have defined my life. But when I move into a relationship with him, what ends up happening is the God of the universe, Christ, the overcomer, the victor, the king of kings, the lord of lords, takes up residence in the neighborhood. The Holy Spirit's job is for you to get to know your neighbor. He's there to introduce Christ to you. And the reason it's important is because as he begins to introduce the greater one who lives on the inside, all of a sudden I begin to recognize possibilities for my life. I begin to recognize hope I begin to recognize a future. I begin to recognize a destiny. I begin to identify purpose in my life because the neighbor has moved in and he's revealing himself to me. I can't do it outside of that context. But with the Holy Spirit working on the inside of me, what he begins to do is he begins to open up opportunities for our life so that we can live more expansively. The Bible is a book full of people who learned what it was to play in the deep end. It's full of people who sit and say, you know what? I recognized the limitations, but look what happened when I stepped in and I took his call and I moved with him into the deep end and I moved to him in a place where I never had the substance. I never had what was necessary to be grounded and rooted in something apart from him. It's a book of testimonies of deep sea swimmers. 
It's not there for no reason. It's there to excite the possibilities of your life. It's there to excite the opportunities that could exist for you because you live in that space with the greater one inside of us. What we don't always recognize and appreciate is how good God is. But it's important that we do. Because as we begin to identify and recognize his goodness, it becomes something that starts to shape my relationship with him. Goodness, his goodness, is so important in terms of shaping my relationship with who he is. Because you see, as we begin to recognize his goodness, his goodness is nothing more than an expression of his love. Goodness is sitting saying, love needs an expression. There's no point me sitting saying, I love you, but you never realize it. He wants us to know his goodness. And every time you experience his goodness, you can sit and say, you know what? At that particular juncture, I moved into a space where heaven touched earth. And I realized how good he is. It becomes so important for us because there are so many people who have a view of God that's distorted. God is upstairs with a big stick. And he's waiting to punish me if I step out of line. There are so many people who don't think that God is good. They think that God is judgmental. They think that God is waiting for an opportunity to strike them with something. So what happens? I can't have confidence in that God. Why? Because I don't know what's happening in the next step. I live out of fear, not faith. Am I in? Am I out? Should I do this? Should not? Let's actually just let's not do anything. Because if I get it wrong, what is God going to do? It becomes fundamental to us because when we begin to recognize, value, and appreciate the fact that as a loving God, he is good, it moves us to a place that we trust him. Why? Because I know every step I take with him, it's just an opportunity to experience goodness. I'm confident in him because I know no matter what, he is love. It's not what he has, it's who he is. And because of who he is, every time he invites me to take his hand, what he's saying is, I'm looking for another opportunity for you to touch goodness. I can step out with God because I trust him, because I have confidence in him. Why? Because he's a good God. Every good and every perfect gift comes from him. It's so important for us. <clears throat> In um, Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what it means? The goodness of God supersedes anything that we're capable of doing. The love of God supersedes any place that we could be. That's not God, that's the devil. When you were in a place where you had no interest in God. No, yes, you didn't have no interest in God. You were against God. You didn't like people who were spiritual. 
You have no place for God because who is God? And he doesn't care about me. And the closest you ever got to God was using his name in vain. And you know what? He loved you. And you know what? It doesn't matter where you were, what you were doing, what you were experiencing, no matter how low you sunk, no matter what kind of sin you were involved in, no matter how much you were enjoying it, he was just sitting saying, I'm going to give you a bit of my goodness. I'm going to keep peppering your life with goodness. Because the point is, you're going to get to a place where you're going to recognize what it says in Romans 2 verse 4. And it says, the goodness of God leads men to repentance. It's not the judgment of God, it's the goodness of God. The goodness of God leads men to repentance. Do you know what that means? Thanks for asking, Rafa. <laughs> the goodness of God leads men to repentance. We've got a weird idea about repentance. Repentance is recognizing how sinful I am and how terrible things are and how bad it is. And I go to God with wailing and gnashing of teeth. Forgive me. There is a place to recognize where I've been, and to sit and say, that's not what I want anymore. But that's not repentance. It might be an expression of it. That's not what it means. Repentance is this. If you look in the original Greek, it means to be changed as a result of having been exposed to something. To be changed because I was exposed to something. Do you know what it means? God is saying this. I am going to overwhelm you with my goodness and my love. To the point where you're going to experience so much of it that you're going to be like, I want what he's got. That's repentance. Repentance is when you experience his goodness with so much frequency, with so much regularity, where you experience his love, which is unending. And every time you encounter a circumstance and a situation, you know who he is and what he has to offer. And what I do is I sit and I have a look and I sit and say, I want what he's got. That's repentance. Why does goodness lead us to it? Because it's a case of being envious. I don't want my disposition to life. I want his. I don't want what I can do. I want what he can do. I don't want my limitations. I want his lack of limitations. What is happening? I'm repenting all the time. I'm seeing who he is. And I'm so enamored and so excited with who he is. I'm wanting to participate in it. That's what repentance is about. Repentance is a wonderful thing. Repentance says to God, you know what? I'm hungry for you. That's what repentance says. I want to stay as I am. I want to be like that. I want to experience that. So, I'm speaking this morning on living on the edge. It's a fine time to tell you. But it becomes important because this is where it steps in. You see, the thing about it is, if we want to be like him, and we want to experience the things of him, what we're going to find is, the boundary of our life is going to be at a certain place. And we're going to establish those things. But we're not going to find God in the boundary of our life. We're going to find him in the deep end. I'm comfortable living on the edge. But are you comfortable stepping beyond the edge? Because he's not found inside the fence but beyond.
Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Did you all hear that? It was a voice. <laughs> there is something about the way that God works. God will always take us out to bring us into. Follow me. Follow me. Was superseded by abide in me. It starts with follow, but it ends in abide. Follow me, he says. I see where you are, and I see what's happening there. But would you like something more? Come out of where you are. I can liberate you. I can free you. I can get you out of what's got you stuck where you are. But I'm not going to leave you in no man's land. I'm going to take you into something new, which is abide. What happened with Israel? God used somebody called Moses. And he said, I want you to go in. And when you get in, I want them to follow you out. Follow me. Because they were all in bondage. In slavery. And what he said was, you need a liberator. I'm going to take you out of where you are. Follow me. But he didn't leave them in the wilderness. What did he say? I have plans and I have purposes for you. I'm going to take you to the land of milk and honey. What is he saying? I'm taking you to the place where I want you to recognize the fullness of who that, of all that I am and the blessings that I want you to realize in your life. It's going to be found in that place. Don't live in the wilderness. Step into there. We find ourselves as interesting as people because you know what? We're slaves to stuff. We're stuck in things that we can't get out of. There are people who are so fearful. Do you know that there are people who've been stuck for two years in home, at home because of COVID? Yes, it's real. Yes, be responsible. Don't be fearful. They can't come out. I had a friend of ours who was a nurse. I'm sorry, she's a doctor, and she was speaking about the nurses where she works. And this woman came in. I don't care whether you're vaccinated. That's your deal, whatever. Just listen to the story. The point is this, there's a woman who came in and she needed attention and she wasn't wearing a mask and she wasn't vaccinated. So they gave her a test and she was COVID negative, COVID negative. And all of the nurses were like, well, we don't want to deal with her. What happens if we catch something? What happens if we get it? She said, she's just tested COVID negative, but she's not vaccinated. There were people there are people who are so fearful. And what happen, what's happening is fear is governing the situation. What I'm saying to you is this. There are people that are locked in fear today and you can't get out of it. As much as you may try to get out of it, all that runs around in their head all the time is, what if I catch it? What if I get in that environment? And if I do get it, what's going to happen to me? Will I die? Will I end up in hospital? Won't I be able to breathe? I'm stuck in fear. And what he's saying is, I've come to liberate you. I've come to take you out. I've come to take you out because you can't get yourself out. You're in slavery. Your freedom came at a price called fear. You can't get yourself out of fear, but I can. I can take you out, but he's not going to leave you in no man's land. He's going to take you into something new. It's called something called faith.
The problem is as long as you live in fear, your life becomes small and insular and it becomes all about me because I don't want to go anywhere and I don't want to do anything. And then I start looking at myself and what about this? And what, and what happens? It becomes an introverted spiral. I don't grow my world. It shrinks. God is all about expansion. God is wanting to grow your life. If you have a look at... Um, where am I? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying is, if you will trust in me, if you will discover my goodness and who I am, your future and your hope lies with me. I am interested in where you're going and I want you to know something. I'm invested in who you are. What I'm saying is I'm taking you out from where you are. I'm liberating you, but I'm not leaving you in the the wilderness. My intention is to take you into something else and to to take you into something more. What happened when he dealt with Abram? Abram's sitting in a place and he's comfortable and he's at home. And he's got extended family all around him. And he's got his father there. And this is the place that he grew up. And this is what he knew. And what does God say? God says, you know what? Abram, I've got something for you. It's called a destiny. I've got a future for you, Abram. And it's beyond anything that you could possibly imagine. It's going to involve being fruitful. But I've got to take you out. Will you follow me or from away from everything that you've established, everything that defined who you are, because I want to take you into something new? There are places in our life where we're comfortable. There are places in our life where we're established. There are places in our life where who I am and what I'm, I'm about has been something that has been built up over the years because of my life and my experience outside of him. And what he's saying is this. I have a destiny for you. I have a purpose for you. My intention is for you to be fruitful. And so what I want to do is take you out from where you are. Follow me outside of where you are because I want to move you into a place where I want you to experience my abundance. What did he do when he spoke to his disciples? He's walking next to the Sea of Galilee and he has a look and he says, Oh, down there. Hey, come, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. He wasn't talking about a vocation. He was talking about an identity. What he was saying was this. Leave what you know and where you are and come with me. Follow me for three years and I'll talk to you about possibilities. I'll speak to you about life. I'll show you what it is to live life of an extraordinary nature. And the thing is, when I go, I'm going to leave you with something. What did he say right before he ascended? He said... Abide in me, and I will abide in you. The calling was to follow, but it was to put me at a place where I would abide. I would get established in who he is and what he's all about. We're interesting as people. We get excited about the fact that we have a Savior who wants to come and who wants to revolutionize our life. 
We get excited about the fact that goodness presents itself to us. We're thrilled about the fact that it comes from a nature of love. Nothing else but goodness can come from that. And we begin to embrace a relationship with him. And as we embrace that relationship, we get excited because he comes and dwells on the inside of us. And my spirit becomes alive. But when my spirit comes alive, what ends up happening is the Holy Spirit starts to work. And the Holy Spirit begins to walk around and have a look at some places in my life. You don't have to go and find them. He'll find them for you. You just stay where you are. You'll be fine. That's why you don't have to live with your finger on your pulse if you're a Christian. Just leave it. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. What is he going to do? I'm so glad you asked. You see, the problem with it is this. Because we've spent such an expansive amount of time without him, we've started to build up the way that we live and who we are and what I'm all about. And the way that I deal with people, I'm established in it. And the way that I deal with situations, I'm established in it. Why? Because I can control it. And I like being able to control it because it gives me a sense of security. We build up our lives with so many areas that we control, that we, can t- that we can take care of. Things that offer us a sense of security because it's what I know. But he's going to stroll the neighborhood. And when he strolls the neighborhood, you know what he's looking for? People who are prepared to live on the edge. Because when he identifies something like that, he's going to say, here's the invitation. Follow me. But it means you've got to let go of some stuff. It means you've got to let go of some things that make you comfortable. It means that we have to let go of some stuff that keep us where we were. Because what he's saying is, I'm going to liberate you from that, but I'm going to move you into something new. Jesus says in Luke chapter 8, verse 12, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the light of the world. We always use that scripture to speak about people who, don't, who are not born again. They don't have the life of God. and That's fine. And it has an application there. I'm not talking to those people. I'm talking to people who has got the light on the inside of them right at the moment. And what I'm saying to you is this. What Jesus' invitation to you is this. Any area of your life that was built out of the world, that was built out of something where he had no opportunity to have influence, Anything that you built out of self as a result of your experience to the environment was built and becomes an expression of darkness and the world. And what he's saying is, I am the light of the world. He's talking about who he is in your life. What he's saying is, as the light, I'm inviting you to come and partake in the things of me. Because light will liberate and light will establish. Follow me. Follow me is an invitation, but we only follow him if we obey. First Samuel chapter 15 verse 22 says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Do you know why? Because he's interested in people who live on the edge. You see, sacrifice says, you're asking me to move beyond my comfort zone. You're asking me to move beyond what I know. You're asking me to move beyond the space where I I feel comfortable. And he says, I know. I know. 
And I've got a choice to make. Abram had a choice to make. I'm not going anywhere. Disciples had a choice to make. I'm not going to follow you. Israel had a choice to make. In fact, they tried to change their mind, but it was too late. What happened? I've got a choice to make. And some people don't want to go the way that he's inviting them into. Why? I'd rather sacrifice. Lord, forgive me. I know I should have done that. There's nothing wrong with asking for, God, for repentance. There's nothing wrong with changing your mind. But the thing about it is, it then changed your mind. The point that he's making is this. If you sit and ask him to forgive you so you can stay where you are, God's sitting saying, I can't shift your life. I can't change anything unless you get obedient. Obedience is better than sacrifice because obedience says, I don't know where I'm going and Lord, I'm trusting you in this because you're asking me to step beyond the boundaries of my comfort zone. You're asking me to trust you in this. You're asking for my confidence. That's why you've got to know who he is because when he sits and invites you into anything, you've got to know, I can't do this on my, by myself. I can't step into it on my own. But I know the one who is love and the one who is good is inviting me into it. And although I can't control it and although I can't manage it, I'm going to step into that place because I trust him. Because I trust him. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience will open the door to grace. Obedience opens the door to grace. Abraham had a choice to make. Will you follow me or not? I'll obey. He obeyed, and the result of it was God intervened in the situation, gave him an heir, and made him the father of many nations. Grace did the work. Obedience doesn't mean you do the work. Obedience means I can't do it beyond my boundary. But I'm open to the influence of the Holy Spirit to invite me into some spaces that I haven't been before. Why? Because I trust him. Because I know that as I step beyond that, grace will kick in and things will happen. Great. Uh, obedience is going to place a demand on us. And you know what it demands of you? Confidence. Confidence. The challenge is sometimes we have our confidence in things that are not him. We don't always think we do, but we really do. Jesus says in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. And he goes on a little bit later and he says, because the Father and I are one, I do the things that I do. What he was saying was, Unity between he and I opened the door for me to step in and do some stuff that I couldn't do on my own. What he, that's why he was able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? What did that? What brought about the unity? Unity is built on a foundation of understanding and moving your life into God's will. Jesus said in, in, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. What is he saying? I don't want to break unity. I will always stay in that place of what your will is. 
Because when I'm in that place, it opens up possibilities to my life that I can't get outside of that. His confidence was established in him and he knew that and as a result of that, he positioned his life in the will of God. And because he was in the will of God, God asked him to do some stuff that he couldn't do. Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Raise somebody from the dead. Turn water into wine. Cast out a demon. He did some stuff that he couldn't do in and of himself. But he was established in unity with God. His confidence was in him. Sometimes we feel our confidence is in God, but it really isn't. Can I get a little close to the bone right now? Babette said yes, so if you didn't like it, you can shout at her. Open your Bibles, oh no, or just put it down. But Malachi 3, I'm going to read verses 8 to 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. But bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fall to bear, fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I preach. Donna should be up here. (laughs) Anyway, I'm just joking, Donna. This is the point. Listen carefully. Please listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you now. Please listen carefully. Let me finish. Okay? God links an open wallet with an open heaven. Ow. Go and read it. He links an open wallet with an open heaven. What is he saying? Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now. And see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough. Run over by a blessing. What is he saying? He's saying, will you be obedient? If you will be obedient, you will live under open heavens. You see, people miss the point of this entire scripture. Here's the biggest revelation. Are you ready? I'm glad you're seated. It's got nothing to do with money. None of this verse has anything to do with money. Do you know what it has to do with? Confidence. You see, what is the king of the world? Money. Money is king. If you got filthy lucre, you can make stuff happen. If you got money, you can buy some stuff. If you got money, you got access to some things that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. If you've got money, it changes your lifestyle. If you've got money, things will happen. Money is king. And God knows that. And so he says, I'll tell you what. You're going to serve the king of the world or the king of the kingdom. 
Make your choice. Oh, the king of the kingdom. Oh, Lord, we love you. Heal me, deliver me, provide for me. We bring... Okay, Tyson, offering time. It's not about the money. It's about the confidence. What he's saying is this. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. It's a confidence issue. What he's saying is, if you were guaranteed for every dollar you put in there, God would give you a thousand. You would be out emptying your bank account, your neighbor's bank account, your mother's bank account, and anybody else's bank account you can find. What's the problem? We don't trust him. Oh, God is stealing from me. I forgot that he's a God of goodness. I forgot that he's a God of love. I forgot that he's a God of blessing. I forgot that every time he invites me into something, it's not so that he can deprive my life. It's not so he can take away from me. But he's creating opportunities for me to realize his love and his provision. Your obedience doesn't make it happen. Grace is not dependent on you. Grace is dependent on him. Grace is all about him. But God will place a demand on you. Should I tell you something? This is why he does it. This is another. There are so many deep revelations in this one. Do you know why he does it? Not for him, because he knew that. He never fell off the throne because you were like... He knew what you were going to do. He knew where your confidence was. What he was trying to do is rub your nose in it and say, you thought your confidence was in me. Why can't you open your wallet for me? What it says is my confidence is in the king. I don't want to let go of this. He wants you to see where your confidence is. Because the opportunity in that space is to experience his love and his goodness. Because when you experience his love and his goodness, you'll sit and say, Father, you know what? You open up the windows of heaven and bless me in so many ways. Don't, don't narrow it. God's going to rain money. God's going to bless you. God will protect you in ways that you never have imagined. God will take care of your kids in ways that you never imagined. God will do things in your life that you never even realized until you got to heaven and God said, remember when you were at that pedestrian crossing? You would have been run over. I have no clue. Because he opened the windows of heaven and poured out blessings on your life. Why? Because my confidence is in him. My confidence is in him. Why is it important? Because Jesus said, the reason I do the things that I do is because the Father and I are one. I'm established and grounded in his will. When you know that your confidence is not in him, what ends up happening is it doesn't affect him, it affects me. And because it affects me and I know I'm outside of what he's called me to do, I don't have the confidence going to him to ask him to do something because I know I'm not living out of obedience. What sabotages confidence is disobedience. I'm just giving you an example of how sometimes we think we're so grounded and so established in my confidence in him. And sometimes something comes up and it suddenly sparks a reality and I realize, oh. That's why I always encourage people, run your own race. 
It's so easy to point fingers and judge people from your point of strength. The problem with it is when you do that, you open the tables to be turned in reverse. God wants to do fantastic stuff in your life because he loves you. And whether you're good or bad, God's never going to stop his grace for you. It's never going to stop his love for you. It's never going to stop his involvement and his goodness being demonstrated in your life. What he wants us to recognize is who he is, a God of love, and who demonstrates that love to us with regularity through the good things and the goodness that he puts into our lives. He wants us to move to a place where we're continually so envious of the life of God and what he's about, we're repeatedly making changes because I want to be like him. He invites us into a place as we journey through life with him and the Holy Spirit works with us and he begins to identify little areas of our life, little ghetto spaces which are dark and cranky and ugly and he invites us to sit and say, I am the light of the world. Don't try and fix it. Don't try and change it because you can't. But if you'll trust me and follow me out, I'll take you into and get you established in me. It's all an issue of confidence. It's a foundational principle for the way that we deal with God. Because when confidence is eroded, it's difficult for me to partner with him, even though he never stops partnering with us. Can we please stand? Everybody, want you please close your eyes, and I would like for you to just open up your hands the way that you want. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for every special gift that's here today. I want to thank you for the tremendous you love that you have for each one of them. I pray, Father, that this week, Holy Spirit, you just flood their lives with goodness. I want you to just do stuff in their lives when every turn they just look around and sit and say, I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of God. Make them jealous for the things of God. Make them jealous for the things of God. I thank you, light of the world. for the opportunity that you extend to us to pull us out of limitations to pull us out of bondage to pull us out of ignorance Holy Spirit we invite you right now and through this week to begin to shine the light in people's lives all the little crevices all the little holes all the areas things that are keeping us stuck and not realizing more of your goodness I thank you that you do a complete job you don't only author the following but you're the finisher of the establishing and you get every person here grounded in their abiding we thank you for grace
unreserved, unmerited goodness. We thank you for your work now, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.